I hope that you've had an opportunity to work through the study guide. We won't have time to cover every single part of that chapter. Rebecca is introduced in the last part of it, the verses that we did not read. We're talking this morning about the fact that the Lord will provide. We have an introduction, then we come to the examination of the heart, once again for Abraham, another test. Rumination on hope, thinking through things, meditating on what God has said, and then the termination of the testing when it is finally ended. So today we come to the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, based on the Hebrew word there. Last week, we saw Abraham in yet another trial in his own family, one that he had created for himself, having married another woman besides Sarah 15 or years or so before. That may have been culturally permissive, but it was not God's way, and you wouldn't have expected it to work out very well, and it did not. In spite of that and other weak moments, the Lord provided grace for Abraham in every test. And you remember some of the tests that came as God examined Abraham's heart. Abraham had tests with his relatives. Lot's herdsmen were complaining about the pasture. Then later, Sarah and Isaac against Hagar and Ishmael. Worldly possessions, he gave Lot the choice, and he naturally took the best land. Worldly ambition, the offer from the king of Sodom that Abraham refused. Parental affection, his love for Ishmael. We'll see that again today in his love for Isaac. The impossible, a son born in his old age. Courage, going to rescue Lot. Obedience, originally leaving Ur for Canaan, as God had told him. Patience, waiting 25 years for the promised son. Compassion, praying for the people of Sodom that they will not be destroyed. And finally, faith, through it all, we read in Romans 4.20, is faith did not waver. Why do you think that we, as believers, like Abraham, have to face so many tests in life? There was a time when I was young when I thought if you were following the Lord and obeying Him, life would be just a continual flow of blessing. Then I decided it's not a blessing. Then, much later, I decided that a blessing is anything that draws you closer to Christ. So tests can be blessings. And we want to be turning them into blessings as they come along. Here's the reason given right here in the New Testament. Romans 5, beginning in verse 3. Not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. We read these passages often, but they're important in terms of the testing that we face. And then again in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a comforting thought. We're shielded by God's power. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So God wants us to be mature and complete 
and have proven character. And God knows each one of us very well. He has created us, and he knows just the type of tests that we need and how many tests. We'll be tested sooner or later, as was Abraham, on something that is very important in your life. Just be certain that the decisions that you're making now are following God's ways so that you won't be creating more tests for yourself in the future. The examination of Abraham's heart. In verse 3 of our passage, we come to the very first use in the Bible of the word love. But it's not the love of a husband for his wife. It's not the love of a mother for her children. It's not the love of a sister for her brother. It's not the love of country. It's not even the love of God. It's the love of a father for his son. And I think God wants us to teach, to, to teach us that we could understand something through that. That is a very comprehensive and significant definition of love the love of a father for his son. It's kind of an earthly depiction of that heavenly relationship, the love of the heavenly father for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love among the Trinity from before the foundation of the earth. Now take a moment right now and ask yourself, what is most precious in your heart? It might be just an idea. It might be a dream that you're waiting on. But whatever it is, how would you feel if God told you that you had to give it up? If it's something already realized, a gift from God, but now God is calling on you to give up that gift that he has given. What would be the first scripture that would come to your mind if God called you to give up the fondest thought of your heart. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's something you want to accomplish in your life. Whatever it is, if God said, I'm taking that away, what would be the first scripture that you would turn to? Well, I thought of several. We read there in Genesis 22 that Abraham is to take his son whom he loves. That would be the most precious thing for him. I wonder what he was thinking. He didn't have all the Bible, but he did have God's Word spoken to him. Well, Job 13:15 comes to my mind. Though he slay me, says Job, yet will I trust in him. He also shall be my salvation. I also thought about Job when he said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isaiah has some good thoughts for us. In Isaiah 12, too, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. And another one in chapter 26, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is 
everlasting strength. Does it ever seem to you that sometimes God is far away? You're not hearing much from Him? Abraham had that experience. If you're having that experience, be sure that this is not the problem. In the book of James, we read, Draw near unto God, and He will draw near unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within, but we can grieve the Spirit by a bad attitude, a foolish word, dubious deed. In that case, we'll move on to verse 9. Be miserable, mourn, and weep over your sin. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Abraham was seemingly enjoying a time of peace and goodwill in his life. He had this young son now, the promised son, and this boy was growing up, and it was just a good time in his life. It ought to be because he was a 100 years old when the boy was born. It's about time for some peace and quiet in Abraham's life. But suddenly that peace is shattered by a command from the Lord. And in today's lesson, we're going to see what God tells Abraham to do. When we read these words, after these things came to pass, that means after our last lesson and the days have moved on and the boy has grown older now, and many Bible scholars would say he's probably 25 years of age when this happens, but then we read in the Scripture that God did tempt Abraham. We know from the New Testament that God doesn't tempt people to evil, but that word tempt, nasal, means to put to the test. David tested Saul's armor, you remember. The Queen of Sheba tested Solomon's wisdom when she came for a visit. And now God is going to test Abraham's heart. Certainly God knows what's in Abraham's heart, but he wants Abraham to see, and he wants there to be a testimony through the ages of the choice that Abraham makes. Now, the devil certainly fans the flames of sinful desire in our heart, but is we who choose, and we choose based on what's in our hearts, the right or the wrong. So we may have wrong in our hearts that no one can see, but then when the time of decision comes along, that's what comes out according to the Scripture because that is what is in there. God may allow temptation or a test in our lives so that we can see what's in our hearts. After many years of silence, Abraham not hearing from the Lord, Suddenly, the Lord bursts in to tell Abraham to take his son and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that God would show him. Abraham likely remembered child sacrifice from his days in Ur of the Chaldees. Archaeology tells us that it was a common practice in Canaan. So we think of that, and it seems like a horrid thing. You would sacrifice your child to some pagan god. 
It was commonplace in Abraham's day. And unfortunately, it's commonplace in our land today. But it's done behind the closed doors of an abortion clinic. Here's the most difficult test that Abraham has ever faced. A stolen well and some quarreling herdsmen quarreling over a pasture. It's nothing compared to this one. We have to remind ourselves that God's purpose in this has to be judged by the final outcome. When we see what God's saying, we say, wait a minute, this doesn't look too good. But God didn't have in mind the boy being killed. God had in mind teaching Abraham and all of us a great lesson in faith. Now, our examinations are a little bit easier, I think, than Abraham's. We look at the proceedings of divine providence, and sometimes they appear to contradict the Word. And there seems to be some inconsistency. Here's a guy who's living a life of sin, but he's really prospering. And he never has to pay up, it seems like to us. But here's some poor soul that is faithful to God, but he's experiencing all kinds of trouble, like Job. And it's almost like God has forgotten about him. What's going on here? And we take, <clears throat> excuse me, our little bit of experience that we can see at that time, and we extrapolate from that something that is contradictory to the truth of God's Word. I want to encourage you, as we have many times, stick with the Word. Stick with the Word. Seeing is not believing. You always heard that it is. But seeing is not believing. Faith is believing. And the Scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. So when you see something or you hear something that doesn't sound exactly like the Scripture, go back to the Scripture. Go back to prayer. Give it some time. Give God time to work out what He's doing in a situation or in a person's life. Here's what John Owen has to say. Sometimes, through God's providence... There may appear to be inconsistency between God's command and His promise. Nothing but faith, bowing the soul to divine sovereignty, can reconcile this. For Abraham, it's a little more difficult because God has been speaking to him and now God has come along to tell him something that seems to be contradictory to what God has said before. God has said, I'm building a nation through this promised young man. Now God says to sacrifice the young man. He didn't say in the text to slay the young man, but you would presume if he's going to be a burnt offering, he's going to have to be killed. Now think about that. It would have been one thing if God had said, you know, Abraham, your son's going to die. But instead he says, you're going to have to kill him. He insinuates. You're going to have to kill him and offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham has already passed the parental affection test with Ishmael. But now, here is a more difficult test, a challenge that defies reason and affection and even religion. Do you think that Abraham is going to have God in first place in his life? And what about us this morning? From the New Testament, if any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. 
Now, we look at that and say, now, now wait, a, wait a minute. This is not in keeping with what God has told us, that we're to love our parents and honor them and obey them all of our days. Well, we need a little explanation on that because we have to interpret the Scripture through the Scripture. Kenneth Taylor can help us out a little bit. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, or sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. Well, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. Aren't we glad that the sacrificial system has ended? Or has it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your service of worship in some translations. Do you worship God? Does your body worship God? Do you worship God with the parts of your body? And then in Psalm 51, 17, God never wanted animals. That was a picture of something. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. What is a contrite heart? A contrite heart is a repentant heart over my sin that sent Christ to the cross. Well, God did not want Isaac dead on the altar. What he wanted from Abraham was complete submission of his will to God, where God could say, do this, and Abraham would do it. Now, I will admit God is speaking to Abraham. It'd be a little easier for us, I guess, if God just said, hey, do this right now. But we do have the completed scripture. We do have the Holy Spirit. We do have the mind of Christ. I will assure you that you can determine God's will if you really want to know about it. We've already mentioned the love of the Heavenly Father for His Son. What could possibly be the meaning of this verse in Isaiah? A rather difficult verse. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to bruise Christ. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. God the Father was not happy to sacrifice Jesus any more so than Abraham was happy to sacrifice Isaac. Then why did it say it pleased the Lord to bruise him? It was the pleasure of his will. He had determined that this was the way that his law would be satisfied. A perfect sacrifice would be made. And then that sacrifice, the blood of that sacrifice, would be applied to you and me, even as it was in the days of the priesthood in the Old Testament, where they would sprinkle the blood on the people. So God provided not only for us forgiveness of sin, but as we've been studying on Tuesday night, he provided for us righteousness. So when God looks at us, we are clothed in the righteousness 
of Christ. And then through the process of our lives, we are seeking to become righteous as we put off the old self and put on the new self. That's grace, what God has done for us, that he would give us this way to be in right relationship with him after we've sinned over and over again. Well, we would guess that if Isaac is 25 years old, Abraham would be 125 years old at this time. And suddenly his joyful and peaceful existence is shattered by God's command. Why do you think these examinations of the heart appear to become more difficult as we grow older? Well, it could be because God and Satan know that there's more at stake. The testimony that you would have. And he hits Job when Job is an older man. But you see, Job's testimony for God is going to count for much more or his testimony of having given in to sin is going to be a problem. Excuse me, I'm ready this time. Job had to say, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. More to be gained when you're older, so the test may become more difficult. Now, when your test comes along, when your test comes along, how long should you wait before you set about to obey the command of the Lord. I don't know if Abraham slept much that evening. Thank you, sir. I don't know if he slept much that evening, but I know early the next morning he was up, packed and loaded, the donkey was saddled, and he was moving toward Mount Moriah. God did not tell him where to go. Why hold him in suspense? Well, I think God wanted his complete dependency upon him. He can't trust in his own reason. He doesn't even know his destination, but God is going to guide him every step of the way. God's doing the same thing for us. Why do you think God led Abraham to the land of Moriah? God is looking down the road of the future, and he leads him to the very mount where Ornan the Jebusite had a threshing floor. And the angel of the Lord appeared to King David and said, build an altar and offer a sacrifice to the Lord right here on this place. And on that very spot, a thousand years after Abraham, Solomon would build the temple. And the Jews believed that the altar of burnt offerings in the temple was built on the very place of this altar where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. Since it was a three-day journey to Mount Moriah, Abraham had plenty of time to think about what he was going to do. And I imagine that he did a lot of meditating on the command that God had given him. Think about that. Just walking along, perhaps Abraham was riding the donkey. I think they would probably been a donkey would have probably been carrying the wood. But plenty of time in that 40-mile journey to consider what God has told him to do. 
But Abraham has already made up his mind. When we get an examination, sometimes God gives us time to think about it. And sometimes he likes to get our attention through pain because that helps us to really focus on whatever God is trying to show us. We Americans are very busy and we get distracted and it's hard to focus on anything, but God can get our attention. As Abraham was walking along toward Mount Moriah, what do you think he was thinking about during that time? We know exactly what he was thinking because the New Testament writer of the Hebrews tell us he's thinking about hope and the hope he's thinking about is beginning in verse 17 of chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed that if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Notice that he told the servants, I and the son will be back. So he believed the promise that God had made, that God was going to fulfill through his son Isaac. Can you see a picture of the resurrection of Christ in this passage, this command that God gave? Would the disciples have been familiar with Abraham and Isaac? Oh, yes. And they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. And there are references to the resurrection in the Old Testament. But they were caught completely off guard when Christ was crucified. I suppose their grief in that situation had caused them to forget what was given there in the Old Testament. Well, when Abraham and his party arrived at Mount Moriah, he left the servants and he and the boy went on alone to worship. He figured those young guys that were with him as servants might have made some hasty move to deter a delirious and insane old man from his mission. So he wasn't going to take any chances. And they went on alone. And then it dawned upon Isaac that something was missing, the lamb for the sacrifice. And he asked his dad, and his dad gave the right answer, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And notice what he told his servants in verse 5. He said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. He has a lot of faith. He knows what he's going to do. What does it mean to truly worship? I think to truly worship means to bow down to God's will. I wonder how much, if that's the definition, how much true worship is going on in worship services around the country today to bow down to God's will to obey Him. We see Christ in the New Testament teaching people that they should worship God, but we never hear it described that Jesus worshiped. But we do see that He bowed down His will to the will of the Father. And that is true worship, even to the point of being willing to die on a cross. So, to worship, to bow down to God's will. And we come to the end of testing for Abraham. 
When they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the, on the altar on top of the wood. Now, if Abraham is 125 years old and the boy is 25 years old, how is Abraham going to catch him to tie him up and put him on the altar? Surely Isaac knew of God's promise to his dad. It's probably something that they had discussed together, and they may have discussed it on the way walking up to the mountain. At any rate, Isaac was willing to have faith in God and confidence in his dad. Confidence in his dad, as he knew that his dad was trusting the Lord. It was demonstrated in Abraham's life. What happened as he stretched out his hand to slay his son? The angel of the Lord called him out of heaven. And then we see that it was the Lord speaking to him. Maybe this was the pre-incarnate Christ. He told him not to slay the boy, that his being willing to sacrifice his son was evidence that he had passed the examination of the heart by his obedience to God. At that moment, he looked up, and there was a ram caught by its horns in the thicket, and he said, there's our sacrifice. And he got the ram and prepared it and sacrificed the ram instead of his son. We see in the New Testament, the next day John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of the Jews, but the sin of people from every language and every tribe and every nation. The name Moriah comes from the same verb in the Hebrew, ra'ah, to see. You remember Abraham's great-granddaughter Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land. So there's a play on words here. The Lord will see our need and provide for us just as he did for Abraham. So he called the name of the place Yahweh Yireh. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Or the Lord will see to it. Notice that he has another three days on the way home to think about this great lesson of faith that God is teaching him. Amazing. We have just seen the gospel according to Moses. That's not some new book that somebody discovered. This is what's right there in the scripture. Luke 24:27. and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them, the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In John 5:46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, Jesus said, for he wrote of me. Well, let's review that. Genesis 22:19, Abraham returned to the young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Where is Isaac? Well, Isaac is not mentioned in Scripture again until Genesis 24 when he is receiving a bride. Christ gave himself on the cross. Then he went back to heaven. And one day he will be back again to receive his bride, the church. And then both Isaac and Christ were promised sons, both born miraculously. Of course, Christ was sinless at his birth. Both were born at the set time and brought joy to the heart of the Father. Both were persecuted by their brethren, and both were obedient even unto death. 
Isaac questioned his father. Jesus said, My God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice, even as Christ carried the cross for his sacrifice. Christ was raised from the dead, and as we read in Hebrews 19, Isaac was symbolically raised from the dead. Abraham was justified before God by believing his promises. Here is conversion. Conversion is when we are justified before God. We stop trusting ourselves and what we may have done or not have done for salvation, and we begin to put our full trust in Christ. Repentance and true saving faith. Abraham was justified before men by acting upon his faith. And we have that testimony all through the years before men. How are we justified before men as we are converted? Well, we don't have to be justified before men, but we are a testimony when we are baptized following Christ's example. God has provided the lamb. We don't have to worry about the sacrifice. In the New Testament, we see the challenge, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you need to be refreshed this day? Come to Christ. Confess your sin. Accept the grace that the Father has provided through His beloved Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's someone here today who needs your grace, your forgiveness, who needs to have guilt removed, that they might come to you at this time in the quietness of their own heart. We thank you that a sacrifice has been given. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to obey the Father even unto death. Thank you that there is salvation the free offer that you extend to everyone. And Lord, we would extend that offer this morning for the forgiveness of sin, for a new life, for you to come in and take control of the life. Lord, how we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you not only for what you've done for our church, but for us as individuals. And we thank you for this testimony of faith with Abraham and thank you for the fact that he was willing to obey you even when he did not understand. Lord, I pray that you would help us when we see things in this life that don't seem to fit in the scripture. I pray that we might trust in you, trust in your word, and I pray, Lord, that we might wait on you to work in situations and circumstances in the lives of men and women. Father, I pray that we might be faithful, even as Abraham was. Uh, Lord, we know that if we're going to be consistent in faith, we're going to have to be focused on your word with all of our senses. So we ask now as we come to a time of prayer that you would guide our thoughts and our hearts And we pray, Lord, that we might be able to cover every request that needs to be made, either silently or as our men lead. 
And we ask these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.